Good evening, it's good to see everyone, and uh, it's good to uh, to come together to uh, look at the Word of God again, and, and uh, just each of us will be uh, blessed and, and encouraged for doing so, and um, we're continuing, as you've just embarked on your studies in, in Exodus, chapter 2, I do believe it's the whole chapter, um, so we'll, uh, we'll take time to read it, um, it's a it's a really a fantastic narrative in scripture, so we'll, we'll take the opportunity to read it, uh, read it through. So uh, Exodus chapter 2 and, and verse 1. Uh, now, a man of the house of Levi went and married the daughter of Levi. Uh, the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she was, uh, and, uh, and she saw uh, that he was beautiful, uh, she hid him there for three months. But when she couldn't hide him, uh, when she could hide him no longer, she uh, got him a wicker basket or ark and covered it over with tar and pitch. And she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. Uh, her sister stood, or his sister rather, stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens, uh, walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him and said, Is this one of the Hebrews' children? And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and he named her Moses, and said, Because I drew him out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked at their hard labours and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And so he looked this way and that and when he saw there was no one around he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And he went out the next day and behold two Hebrews were fighting with each other and he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who, are, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to, drew and drew, to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drew them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And they came to uh, rule their father and said, Why have you come back so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what's more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock, and he said to his daughters, "Where is he then? Why is it that you have left him, left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat." Moses was dwelling, uh, was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zephora to Moses, and she gave birth to a son and named him uh, Gershom. And for she said, he said, uh, "I have been a sojourner in a foreign land." Now it came about 
in the course of many days that the king of Egypt died. And the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage and they cried out and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. And so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And God saw the sons of Israel and God took notice of them. And uh, we're thankful to God for his word and, and again we do look to him for his help as, as we as we study it uh, together this evening. Uh, I'm sure you, you you'll agree that um, you know as you're making your way through the the Bible uh, in a year um, that when you come to Exodus it's it's one of the I suppose more fascinating or uh, really scintillating narratives that we have in Scripture. You know, it's, it's quite fast-paced and, uh, you know, it's, it's very dynamic. There's a lot going on and, and certainly the first couple of chapters of Exodus, uh, they, they really deliver on that front. You know, the author, he set out for us in chapter one, as, as you, you looked last week, and I believe Kevin uh, was, was covering that. And, and no doubt, you know, painted that, that picture uh, that the, the author is, is bringing before us, that the, the nation of Israel, they've gone from just simply dwelling in the land of Egypt to being in bondage in the land of Egypt. And this new pharaoh has come along and he is, he is not happy with the fact that the nation have been growing at the rate that they, that they have. And, and in verse 10 of chapter 1 it says that, that he, he said, let us deal shrewdly with them. And, and so he seeks to, uh, to really reduce and, and, and minimize the morale of the people. He wants to, to really wear them down and, and so he, he puts them in, in bonds and of course he, he releases that edict. He instructs the, the Jewish midwives first of all to say that they're to, to kill any male uh, that is born and, and they're to keep the, the females and then he puts it out wider to all of his people that they're to, they're to, uh, to end the life of any son that is born. They're to throw it into the Nile. And all of this, of course, to stem the growth, to stem the, the momentum that the, the, Jew, or the, the, the nation of Israel had, had uh, been gaining up until this point. And so it's a bleak, it's a bleak picture. Uh, the people of God, they're in a, they're in a dire situation, really, when you, when you consider it. And if, and if you've been following the, uh, the, 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 the book of Genesis up until this point, you know, we're aware that, that significant weighty promises have been made to this nation of Israel. With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob... And, and really it looks like it's in jeopardy. How, how is this ever going to be remedied? And of course we know that the purpose of this book of Exodus is to show us that it is going to be remedied. There's a delivery plan that has been, uh, that has been uh, for, uh, considered, and it's going to be through, of course, this man Moses, who we're introduced to in our, in our chapter this evening. He's going to be the the vessel through which this nation of Israel is going to be rescued from from the clutches of of, uh, of Egypt. And and Moses, he is he is really the central character to this whole book, as you, as you as you no doubt are aware. And and this evening, this chapter two, where, where we've read that the chapter we're considering, uh, the kind of theme over it, Paul, when he sent through the passage, he helpfully give the title for the sermon which is this is very helpful if you ever have to prepare a sermon you even have to look for the title um, that you're to uh, and, and the title was the preparation of God's prophet and and it's for good reason because I think he obviously had read the passage beforehand and, uh, and and that is indeed what is happening here we see that God has a plan for Moses and and he's going to 
shape and to mould his experience in such a way that he will be suited, that he will be prepared, that he will be ready for this challenge that's ahead of him. And it is a, it is a tremendous challenge. I think we, we underestimate, because we're so familiar with these stories, the gravity of what he had to do was, was a task that is really unparalleled in, in many respects. And so, when we consider this, he is a lot ahead of him and he's going to need training, he's going to need preparation to, to tackle this. And so the chapter, it, it sketches out for us 40 or so years of Moses' life, 40 plus years. And you know, we have his early years in the first 10 verses and then his, his time in Egypt, uh, obviously before uh, he goes to the desert. And then the time in the desert is, is the last section. And really what we see here is, is that God is, is providentially charting a path for Moses. He is, he is going to, uh, to look for opportunities to develop him. And as we consider that, what, what I really want to, to focus our minds upon, what I want to consider this evening as, a, as our subject, is essentially some, some principles. Uh, principles for, for preparation uh, for servants, for people involved in the Lord's service. Some principles for, for preparation of that. And as we look at that, we're going to look at three, three uh, principles. The first ten verses there, we're going to see the, the principle of foundations. Foundations, the, the necessity to have a foundation that is based ultimately in, in God and in his promises. And we'll see how his parents were critically involved in that. Then 11 to 25, we're going to look at, at failures. And we're going to see there that, that Moses, he's, he's marked by particular failure, but the Lord is going to use that. And he's going to, to, to use it in, in his uh, character development. And then finally, 16 to 22, we're going to consider uh, flourishment. Uh, sort of cap off the, the three, three F's uh, to, to make it easy for me to remember at least. Um, and there we're going to see then that the Lord, he uses uh, not so much part of his failure, but where there's a success in his life and in his work. And, and the Lord's going to use that to, to guide and to shape and mold him for the, the future task that he has uh, to, to face. And so we'll, we'll look then at these first ten verses uh, at the foundations. And as we've, as we've considered already, um, it's a dark backdrop uh, where this chapter begins. And we read that this man, he, uh, who's from the, the tribe of Levi, marries a, a, a woman from the tribe of Levi, and she, she conceives and, and bears a son. And you, immediately as a reader, uh, you're, you're thinking, you know, well, what is going to happen to this son? given the, the edict that has been, has been passed. But there's an interesting phrase in verse 2, and it says, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was uh, beautiful, or literally that he was good, then she hid him uh, for, for three months. And, you know, we've got a, the, the, the wonderful benefit of having a commentary to this passage in, in the book of the Acts. And in Acts 7, we read there that uh, it's described that, that he was beautiful unto God. And I think the idea is that, you know, this was someone that God clearly had earmarked for a task. It was, it was evident that he wasn't just any child, but he was a child that was chosen for a particular purpose. And, and it's the same word good that we have in, in Genesis. You know that, that God, he declared that creation was good. And so there's a, very, there's a very specific task that this child has. And his parents gain an understanding of this very early on. 
And, and as a result of that, of course, they, they appreciate that they have a responsibility, don't they? And they have to take care of him. They have to ensure that he is, he is prepared and that he is protected for whatever it is that the Lord had in, in, stall, in, in store for him. And so his mother then hides him for three months. And, and we, we learn in, uh, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, again, another parallel passage to this that gives us an insight. It says there that, that it was by faith that they, his parents, hid him and were not afraid of the king's edict. And so here is a here's a couple. Uh, they've been they've been blessed with this with this child, and and they understand that he has significance in in God's eyes. And so what they do is they they implicitly trust God to uh, to protect to prepare him for whatever it is his future holds. They don't. They don't fixate on the external pressures because, you know, this would be a, a dire time to bring a son into the world. In a literal sense, his life would be, would be in jeopardy. But they are not fearful of that. They have faith, uh, we read in Hebrews, uh, and we're not afraid of the king's edict. And so his parents, they have, they have faith in God and that faith, it drives them to make wise decisions about how best to preserve him, about how best to protect him. And so there's a period of time where they're able to hide him altogether for those three months. And that's, of course, short-lived. And then, uh, under, the, under the guidance of God, no doubt, they, they ironically obey the king's edict. And they, they, they put their son, they throw him into the Nile. But they do it in a very strategic way, of course. And they, they get this, this basket, this, this ark, is the same word that we have for Noah's ark. And the, the picture here is, is, is wonderful when you consider it, you know. Uh, the Lord is, is, is paving a way of deliverance through this ark and it's going to be in this child of promise. And so he's placed there and it's covered with pitch. So that, you know, every eventuality, as far as they are concerned or, or have, have ability, they try to prevent anything, anything from happening with him. And then they place him in the reeds. And again, you know, practically speaking, that would offer some element of protection. Again, a sort of a side point, you know, there, there he is, he's a, a child that's been placed in the, in the Reed River and, and it's a way of deliverance and it's only going to be a few years where he is going to bring deliverance for the whole nation, of course, through this, this same river, you know, the, the Red Sea as it comes eventually. And so there's, there's wonderful uh, pictures that you can see even just as you, as you go through the narrative itself. But the final precaution they take then is that they... They commission, it would seem, his sister to, to watch over the proceedings to make sure that everything goes according to, to plan as best they can. And as you, as you know then, uh, Pharaoh's daughter comes along. They may even have been aware of what her routine was. We don't know these, these kind of uh, details. But, but basically the daughter arrives and she notices the basket. Again, we have the, the advantage, don't we, of seeing the whole story play out. But if you're reading this for the first time, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, the, the woman, she, the, the Pharaoh's daughter finds it. She is perfectly within her rights to, you know, to carry out her father's, uh, her father's edict. But she, she sees the child, hears him cry, and she takes pity on him. And that's not to be taken for granted, but clearly it's under the Lord's, the Lord's control. And, and an incredible turn of events... Uh, Pharaoh's desire to ensure that the nation doesn't flourish, that they don't have a, a means of deliverance, he ends up financing 
the, the nurturing, the raising of the deliverer. And it's just an incredible irony, isn't it? And how God is able to work these things. And then in verse 10 we see that he remains uh, with, his, with his mother, with his parents for uh, until he was grown. And we don't know how long that was for. And we know that it was until he was physically weaned, but uh, you know it's obviously more than that. He he was spiritually going to be instructed and and weaned, as it were, and he would learn from his from his parents, no doubt, uh, something of Jehovah and of his promises. And and he clearly has an understanding that that he is a role to play in all of this. And we see that as we move throughout uh, the, the the passage. And so these these are foundations that that are being laid. Uh, in which uh, Moses is is going to undergo uh, an incredible journey. You know, he's got an incredible task ahead of him, as as we thought. And and these these solid foundations, where his parents are seeking to to provide everything they can to ensure that he is as, as well prepared within their control uh, to face to face that task. You know, but foundations are are an extremely important thing in a, in a building in a physical sense and Stephen's in in, uh, in Inveru this evening but he, he maybe would, would argue with me maybe aesthetically or maybe Alan would argue with you that aesthetically it's not as, as significant but the foundations of course they're very very important and, and we've been going through a project where we're, we're building a house and, and you know it was there when we were putting in the foundations and over the course of a week uh, there's a huge amount of work goes into this. You know, digging right down to you get solid, solid rock, and then putting stone to make sure it's nice and level, and and putting posts in to make sure you have all your levels right for the, when the concrete comes, and mesh, metal mesh, and all of these sort of things to ensure that it's as as solid and as and as immovable as possible to certain standards. And if you came at the start of the week and and arrived at the end of the week, and, and you just saw the end result. It's not particularly impressive, and you, you would sort of think, "What's you know? What have you accomplished, really? You know, what is there to show?" And it's not really until you, you get to the stage where the house is developed and, and it's really fully constructed, which is not the case for us yet. Yet we're hoping we get there eventually. Um, but but it's at that point that you realise the importance and the significance of foundations, because it's that which will give the house longevity and its ability to stand. And so they're, they're critical. And, and it is the case, of course, in, in Christian life that foundations, when they're laid, that they're done so correctly, that they're done so with, with diligence. And, and, and it's really, it has to be in, in, in the early stages, not, not just physically, but also in, in spiritual years, as it were. For, for a new Christian, when foundations are laid, it's the responsibility, isn't it, of the, the parents either the paternal parents or, or the spiritual parents, to, to have that responsibility to ensure that, uh, that the foundations are laid correctly. You know, there is much to be discouraged by in the world around about us. We, we see that, don't we? And it's getting, it's getting increasingly worse. And so it's imperative uh, that, that we, as, as parents, if, if, that is, if that is the position that we're in, either physically or spiritually, that we have this responsibility to protect that's what, that's what Moses' parents did firstly, to protect the children and then also to prepare them. Uh, you know, uh, Moses' parents, they, they had no ability to control uh, the, the nation of Egypt. They couldn't control who the Pharaoh was. They couldn't control uh, the laws that were in place. 
But they were diligent in putting controls and putting protections rather with with everything that they did have control over, weren't they? And, you know, as as Christians who have this responsibility, it is is imperative to ensure that that in any age, but particularly when they are young, that we we protect them wherever possible. And and the age that we live in, the the standards and the laws, we we are so aware of it, are we not, that just now it it is in such a state that there is every possible uh, attack. There's every possible angle, morally, and 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 from every other angle, especially uh, when we look at Scripture, the standards have been totally and utterly bypassed. And so, it is a, a, there's no more critical time than now, uh, as 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 ever, to to ensure that children are are protected. You know, from a a practical example, we're aware of of just the the plethora of. Of various types of, of media that are able to grab hold of the attention of, of children at any age, even from from the youngest age, and so we have to be so careful as to what it is that they're being exposed to, and to ensure that we're diligent and we're proactive in protecting them. But we're also to prepare them. That's what that's what Moses' parents did, and and it's inevitable that you know Jochebed when she received her son back. And she had him for those years. You know, what a privilege she had to, to ensure that he, he grew spiritually as, as best she, she could and as best as she, as she would have known. You know, that she wouldn't necessarily have had the, the, the full uh, law or as we have the full canon of scripture to do that. But yet we, we read that he grew. And I believe that's spiritual growth as well as physical growth. And, and again, that same responsibility, that obligation on parents is that we are to prepare children uh, for the service of the Lord. Now, it's not an inevitability that that will, that will result, but we're to, you know, Proverbs tells us that, that if you train up a child in the way it should go, it will not easily depart from it. And so that's the, that should be the intent. And how is it that we, we prepare them? Well, there's, there's no greater preparation than, than the scriptures and the word of God. And, and so it should be that we, we read it, that we teach it, that we, uh, that we really surround them and immerse them in the word of God as, 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 as a protection and as a, as a preparation for whatever it is that the Lord would have them, have them uh, to do in, in, in later years. And spiritually speaking, for, for a new Christian, it is vital that they are nurtured, that they're fed with the word of God. And it's that that will prepare them for the environment that they will eventually inhabit. And, and that is indeed what, what happened. And so that's the, the first uh, principle, really, as, as is laid out here in, in terms of the preparation for Moses and, and his service. And, and indeed for us, as we, as we face service for the Lord in whatever form that will take. Uh, there must be foundations laid with with the faith, uh, with our faith in God, as, as His parents did, and to ensure that they they preserve and they protect and, and prepare them for whatever uh, lies ahead. Then, as, as the as the narrative moves on, then in, in verse eleven to twenty five, um, we're going to see there something of, of the failures that Moses uh, faced, and. And as, as we think of that, we're going to see that, uh, and this is not a, this will not come as a shock to you, but but learning from failure, it is a key instrument in in the preparation of of service for the Lord, and we see that uh, throughout uh, Scripture. 
And so in verse 11, uh, as we say, the, the narrative it moves on and, and really the, you're spanning another maybe 20 or 30 years here. Moses has grown up. And again, in, in Acts 7, we learn that he's about 40 years of age when this particular uh, episode uh, takes place. And he goes out on a certain day. And again, we read in Acts that it enters into his mind to visit his countrymen. He, he is interested in this. And he clearly has, has some degree of, of personal uh, burden or interest in, 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 his fellow, uh, in his fellow countrymen. And he feels a responsibility for them. And he goes out and he witnesses uh, the maltreatment of, of, of another Hebrew. And, and as he sees the, the beating going on, you know, it's, it's a step too far from him, as it, as it seems. And, and, he, and so he strikes the Egyptian. We learn later that he, he killed him. And, and he immediately buries, buries his body in the sand. And interestingly then, the following day, he, he clearly hasn't been put off his endeavour, that he is, he's clearly got a, a, an agenda in his mind. And he goes out again and he sees these two Hebrews uh, fighting one another and, and he thinks this is utterly ridiculous. And he says, you know, why is it that you're, you know, that you're fighting each other when you're, when you're brothers? You know, why, why, why are you doing this? And he wants to not settle injustice, but he wants to bring peace to, to strife among, amongst, uh, amongst fellow, uh, fellow countrymen. And, and he's rebuked by them. Uh, they say to him, you know, what, what right do you have really? You know, who, who has made you judge? And are you just going to kill us the way you've killed the Egyptian? And of course Moses is, is he's terrified by this prospect in many respects. And, and then Pharaoh hears about it and seeks to kill him. And so he escapes. And, and again, as, as we're following this, this narrative, in, in view of the fact of what lies ahead, it seems to be that... You know, what's going to become of this saviour of, of Israel? You know, what's, what's the hope? Because this situation is entirely hopeless and it's a, it's a failure really. As he, as he enters out, this was his intent to try and bring deliverance. And it's a complete disaster. And, you know, he, he not only fails to, to deliver the people... But they detest him. They, they, they have maybe portrayed him even uh, in, in telling what, what had happened to the, to the Egyptian. And so it's, it's a humiliating experience for him in many ways. And, and a humbling experience. And yet it's an experience that clearly the Lord was going to use. Um, you know, there, there, there are definitely, as, as we read through at Moses' life and his service, there are going to be other situations where he faces injustice and he has to settle it. Uh, he's going to face times of strife between the people and again he's going to have to mediate that and, and hopefully he will learn from, from the, the mistakes that he made. But I suppose the key failure that I want to highlight in, in Moses' actions here is that he, he went out to operate in a way that was entirely in his own timing and in his own strength. He, he understood, and again we learn this in Acts 7 verse 35, we read that he, he thought that they understood that he was going to deliver them. So he understood he had a role, but he, he assumed that it was on his timing and in his way. And, you know, Christian, that is a, that is a presumption uh, that each of us can no doubt relate to, that we can so easily assume the, the merit of our own ability. Uh, we can assume that, uh, that we can rely on ourselves to be able to 
to bring about success in, in a spiritual venture, whatever it, whatever it might be, and, and to enter out without looking to the Lord for his strength or for his guidance or for his wisdom. We don't read of him speaking to the Lord in this, in this manner at all. And, and often we understand, don't we, from really uh, in, in, in the hard way that it's, you know, it's except the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain to build it. And, and this was clearly something uh, which Moses didn't appreciate or you know, trusting in the Lord uh, with all our heart and leaning out on our own understanding. These are, these are truths that are so vital to appreciate and understand. And as we see time and again throughout scripture, um, servants of the Lord, they, they learn through failure. They learn through failure. But it's not so much that the Lord desires failure uh, on our part. He, he, obviously that isn't the case, but he, he permits it to happen. He doesn't prevent us always from feeling. And, and really what is important is this, is how we react to failure. And really there's three ways. We can either ignore our failure. Um, we have examples of that, don't we? David, for example, he, he ignored his failure initially until, uh, until Nathan brought it uh, to, his, to his eyes, until he understood it. We can, we can despair at our failure. Again, David, he does this, we read this in the Psalms, you know, he is cast down in his own soul, he, he goes into a depression uh, in light of his failure. Or we can learn from our failures, that's, that's the three sort of responses. And, and if we ignore our failures, well then we're destined to repeat them, aren't we? That's the, that's the issue with ignoring them. If we, if we despair in our failures, well, that's something which doesn't produce, it, it limits us. It can it can be a paralyzing thing, you know. There's a an example or an illustration in in, in Pilgrim's Progress where a pilgrim and, and hopeful they they go off the path for a while and they find themselves in this green meadow and it's great and they appreciate the the ease of the path in comparison to the to the route to the true way and and then the situation changes and and they find themselves. Uh, taken captive by giant despair is, is what he is called and, and he brings them into the dungeon and, and he, he gives them a, a, a beating and then every day for every two or three days he comes back again and, and tells them you, you should just give up why is it that you're trying to hold on here what's, what's the hope that you're trying to find and he continually beats them and tells them they should just give it up there's no point in continuing any further and, and of course they don't they, they, they continue to uh, to, to hold fast to the hope that, that they have and, and they, they manage a way of, of escape but the whole picture that is there is that despair can be something that is crippling and it can really be a cause of, 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 in, uh, of, of inhibiting someone in, in their service for the Lord and so uh, we shouldn't uh, be despairing in, in too great a way but really the, the third response is that we should be learning from our failures and clearly I think it's, it's inevitable that Moses would have been deflated after this. There's no doubt about that. But it's evident as he continues that he did learn from his, from his failure. And, and Christian, that is, that is each of our experience that we will feel, that we feel on a daily basis. But it is, it is imperative that we, that we learn from our failure. It's not to say there, aren't, there isn't consequence of it. There clearly is consequence of our failure in it. And it varies. There's a wide range within that. But we, we have opportunity 
Uh, if, if we learn and we understand uh, where it is we have, we have departed from, from the way, where we've departed from the truth and we come back to that and, and we, we learn and are wise in that manner. And that is a, a significant and an, an important principle. And so uh, this is the second principle of the, of the three that, that, that Moses uh, is, is being brought through. He's being confronted with his failure in order to learn from that and to avoid it uh, again in, in his future work for the Lord. The final uh, consideration then is in, in 16 to 22. And the third principle in this, this preparation for, uh, for the Lord's prophet or, or preparation for, for, for the Lord's servants is, is really the, the test of flourishment. And what do I mean by that? Well, as we see here, Moses, he flees the presence of Pharaoh and he settles in, in Midian. And, uh, you know, this was, the, this was the nearest nation that, uh, that he could find refuge in. There's a number of reasons for that. But he comes across then that there's this priest of Midian, clearly a, a worshipper of God. He has seven daughters and he meets them by a well. And as the, as the story unfolds, um, he's, he's not necessarily on a mission, uh, but he is a bystander. He sees this unfolding before him. These shepherds come along and they attempt to drive the woman away. It was clearly a, a normal practice or a, a repeated practice. And, and what happens is he, he, he immediately steps up. The idea is he, he just springs to his feet. And, and he helps them. The word is literally to, to save them. He delivers them from, this, from these shepherds. And what's more than that, he, he actually goes on to draw water and, and he waters their flock uh, for them. And they're obviously extremely grateful for this. And they, uh, they go back to their father and, and they recount how that this Egyptian of all people has, has saved them from the shepherds and has, has done more than that. He's went on and, and watered their flocks. And, and their father, of course, he is equally impressed and he, he, he encourages them to bring Moses back. And he does. And Moses settles there. And, and uh, we've got another situation of... You know, meeting wives at a well. You know, we see that again throughout Scripture. Anyone looking for a wife, you know, look for a well, and you might, uh, you might manage to find one. And and so he he does that, and he has he has a son uh, named uh, Gershom. You know, in this situation, what what comes to the uh, really to the to the surface of of Moses' character is interesting. We see his his benevolence for you know for an oppressed people. And, and he just has this, this innate disposition to want to deliver, to bring about uh, redemption for, or redemption rather, but, but deliverance for someone that is, that is in, uh, being oppressed and is facing danger. And, and he shepherds uh, the, the flock that, that they have. He, he, he involves himself in that, in that role. And of course, it's, it's clearly pointing forward and preparing him for this shepherding role that he will have to assume for the nation of Israel. Uh, when the time came, and so it's it's just clear that the Lord he, he is he is shaping he is molding uh, Moses in this way, and Christian when it when it comes to our walk, uh, and and when it comes to being prepared and 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 shaped for the Lord's service, um, this is a principle that we we must understand that we don't only learn from our failure, uh, but we should learn from when there is when there is success. When there's clearly blessing from the Lord, when things when things go well, and when uh, the Lord is is obviously opening up a way and, and sh- clearly showing uh, something of, of virtue. Uh, when you think of the example of, of spiritual gift, and and how is it that we 
that we develop or discover spiritual gifts. Well, it, it should be that whatever we're drawn to uh, or whatever it is that we have a, have a talent or a gifting in, uh, it shouldn't be something that's overly forced. And equally, it's not something that you're going to be uh, perfect or overly proficient at when you begin. You know, when you take the example of, uh, of, of teaching or, or preaching, um, I think I was 16 when I, I gave my, my testimony and gave a short gospel presentation. And you know, maybe if you'd heard me back then, you would, you would have said that maybe there's been a regression rather than a progression. And hopefully that's not the case. But uh, you know, the, the point is that, that gift is something that has to be developed. And, and there's, a, uh, there's a responsibility. Paul encourages Timothy in that, doesn't he? He tells him that he is to stir up, to fan the flame of his gift, to... Uh, to make the most of it and to be uh, involved in the in the work of developing it, but there should be early signs of of flourishment that should be clear that there's there is something to work with as it were and and so in preparation for the lord 's service that 's something which which each of us need to be involved in and I, I would encourage us all, particularly uh, younger Christians to uh, to identify uh, your spiritual gift, to, to ask for help, ask your, your elders or to spiritual leaders to assist you with that. And then you, you're, once it's identified or you have an idea, well, then you get to the work of, of cultivating it. And, and that is indeed your responsibility. You, you will be held responsible. You will, we, each of us will be assessed uh, as to the, uh, the, the, how we have developed what we have been given. Uh, the, the administration that we have, we're not going to be held responsible for the, the results of the, the gift and, and what the impact of it has been, but we will be responsible for how we have used what we've been given, how we have applied it and how we have sought to develop it. And then it is, it is up to the Lord how he sees fit to use that. And so the, the Lord, he is he's sovereignly uh, preparing and, and shaping and moulding his, his servant Moses for the, the task that he has to face. And, and so it is the case for each one of us. We all are involved in the Lord's work. We're not all going to deliver a nation uh, out of bondage, which is probably a relief, uh, maybe to us to a certain degree. But each of us have a service uh, to do. And, and these principles, I think, apply. You know, foundations are so... Uh, uh, so vital and, and important to ensure that whatever responsibility we have as, as parents, either uh, paternal or spiritual, to, to lay those foundations and to ensure that, that uh, it is done in a way that is, is based on the word of God, that it's based on, on faith in God's, God's promises. And also then to, to take the responsibility uh, uh, to take uh, the responsibility seriously when you think of the, the impact, when you think of the, the future that lies ahead of, of any child of God, uh, that there's diligence applied in that. And then of course we'll see that we've saw the, the, the principle that uh, when you think of, of our failures and you think of the, the, the potential that we have to, to learn from those experiences, not to see them as, uh, as something where we, we can be uh, just depressed or something which we, we, we rule ourselves out of service, but rather there's opportunity for restoration and to be to be used by the Lord. And then finally we, we thought of the, the flourishments and the need to to assess what the Lord has blessed in our lives, what he is clearly uh, paving away or showing us how it is that we can serve him, and then committing to uh, ensuring that we cultivate that 
and that we take on whatever responsibility the Lord has for us to do and to look to him for, for help and for assistance as we do that. So we just trust that God will bless uh, the consideration of these, uh, these passages, this verse, this chapter this evening, and uh, we will just close the word of prayer then. Uh, our Father, we, we just uh, are thankful again this evening for the uh, just the, the privilege and uh, the blessing that it, that it is to come around uh, the Word of God. And we do just uh, pray that each one of us will be uh, blessed and, and encouraged and, and challenged as we consider uh, just the, the examples uh, of, of Moses. And we, we, uh, we're just so encouraged to see that uh, the Word of God is full of, of people who are, uh, are indeed real uh, humans, are those who, who experience the, the challenges, the difficulties of life, they experience the, the ups and the, and the downs, and yet uh, we, we realise when we see these principles of, of ensuring that we are faithful, and when we ensure that we have faith in, in the promises that God have, ha, has made, that we can uh, exercise that, and we can uh, ensure that we are, are properly fitted and properly uh, preparing ourselves and, and submitting to whatever it is the Lord will have us to do. So we just ask for a blessing on each and every one that is here this evening, that we would uh, be encouraged and built up in our faith as a result of the time we spent together, and that you would uh, just bless us in the week we've entered, and, and whatever it is we seek to do, that we would do it for the, the honour and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. And we ask these things uh, in his worthy and precious name. Amen.